morning, African. Welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Bungani in Washington. Today is Wednesday, May the 25th. Here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Malawi has rolled out a vaccination campaign to help stop an outbreak of cholera. We are supporting the Ministry of Health with up to 3.9 million doses that will be administered in two rounds. In Nigeria, the police in the northern state of Kano say last week's explosion that killed nine people was caused by an improvised explosive device. I wasn't surprised because some months ago I had, um, I had said it in some forums and some interviews that um, um, with the success of the fight against insurgency in the, in the northeast. And a new report says the world's billionaires have increased their wealth by trillions of dollars since the beginning of the pandemic, while the poorest countries are struggling with soaring commodity prices and rising debts. We'll have those stories and more coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story, Malawi has rolled out a vaccination campaign to help stop an outbreak of cholera. Authorities report that more than 350 cases and 17 deaths from cholera across eight districts of southern Malawi. Lamek Masina reports from Lantaya. Malawi's Minister of Health declared the cholera outbreak in early March after the first case was confirmed in the Machinga district in southern Malawi. The disease has so far spread to eight districts, including in Sanje, Chikwawam, and Blanta. In its latest report on Monday, the ministry said the country had recorded 367 cholera cases in all with 17 deaths and 19 hospital admissions. Dr. Gertrude Chapotera represented the World Health Organization at the launch of the vaccination campaign Monday in Blanta. She said the campaign is running with support from various global partners, including the Gavi Vaccine Alliance and the Global Task for Cholera Control. We are supporting the Ministry of Health with up to 3.9 million doses that will be administered in two rounds. So this actually is the beginning of the first round with the campaign starting from today, the 23rd of May, uh, running up to Friday this week, the 27th of May. Cholera is an acute diarrheal infection caused by ingesting food or water contaminated with bacteria. The disease affects both children and adults, and if untreated, can kill within hours. Dr. Gift Gawazira is Director of Health and Social Services in Planta. He says the district has so far seen nearly 100 cases of cholera with five deaths, but only three hospital admissions as of Monday. What this means is that cholera is a disease that can easily be reversed and we have got treatment options with us. So the general uh, message to the general population here is that they should uh, quickly present themselves to our health workers or to our different health facilities whenever they notice the signs and symptoms of cholera, which is profuse diarrhea and vomiting in some cases. Healthy authorities say many people are turning up for vaccination with some districts running short of the doses. Arinafe Longwe is among those who received the cholera vaccine in Blanta. 
Longwe says she did not get the COVID-19 vaccine, citing fears of blood clotting and other health issues. But with this one, I haven't had any issues, so I'm okay with it. And I've received, I'm fine. Meanwhile, the Minister of Health says it has intensified public education, preventing cholera infections. These include the use of clean water for domestic purposes and observing personal hygiene. Lamek Masina for VOA News, Blanta, Malawi. In Nigeria, the police in the northern state of Kano say last week's explosion that killed nine people was caused by an improvised explosive device withdrawing its initial statement that inappropriately stored chemicals were behind the blast. The new discovery raises concerns of expanding threats of terror elsewhere in Nigeria, as Timothy Obiez reports from Abuja. The latest finding was contained in a statement by the Kano State Police Public Relations Officer, Abdullahi Haruna Kiyawa. He said one of the victims killed in the explosion was illegally storing toxic chemicals used for making explosives and that the explosion occurred when the chemicals mixed with fire or a heat source. The statement did not say if it was a deliberate act or an accident. Kiyawa said the explosive ordnance disposal team of the Kano State Police Command and other agents recovered from the site of the explosion acids, bags of potassium substance, one jerry can of mixed chemicals, and cartons of tobacco. He said authorities have arrested two suspects in connection with the explosion and are also investigating evidence of the purchase of chemicals recovered from one of the collapsed shops. Later, Kiyawa said authorities confiscated a vehicle loaded with sophisticated improvised explosive devices being smuggled into the state from nearby Jigawa State. The police also recovered firearms and live ammunition from the vehicle. Local residents in Kano had challenged last week's claims by authorities that the explosion was an accident involving gas cylinders. The incident raised concerns that Boko Haram terrorists are gaining footing in northwestern Nigerian states. Patrick Agbambu, founder of the group Security Watch Africa Initiatives, explains why. I wasn't surprised because some months ago I had, um, I had said it in some forums and some interviews that um, um, with the success of the fight against insurgency in the, in the northeast, um, uh, there's a shifting of activities of uh, the terrorists acts towards the north, northwest and the north, and north uh, central. I, I had warned that um, the likelihood of these attacks happening in public places is possible. And so um, uh, security agencies and Nigerians should be very, very careful. Last week, Nigerian defense authorities said at least 53,000 insurgents and their families had surrendered to the military in the northeast. Also last week, Kaduna State Governor Nasir Erufai announced Boko Haram terrorists had infiltrated two local government areas of the state and were attempting to recruit locals. Nigeria has been battling the Boko Haram insurgency for over 12 years. The fighting has killed thousands of people and displaced millions of others. On Monday, Nigerian President Muhammadu Buhari visited families of victims of the Kanu explosion. 
I'm Timothy Obiezu for VOA's Daybreak Africa in Abuja, Nigeria. And let's go to East Africa in Kenya. The country is calling for more investment in the health sector across the world. Speaking in the 75th World Health Assembly in Geneva, Switzerland, Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta said the pandemic exposed the over-dependence of developing countries to external markets. Marino Jambo reports. The first in-person health assembly of the World Health Organization since the beginning of the pandemic is ongoing in Geneva, Switzerland. Kenya, which is one of the 34 member states of executive board of WHO, has urged organizations to prioritize procurement of locally manufactured health products. Kenya's President Uhuru Kenyatta said that the world should refocus on having resilient health systems. Pandemic, however, also exposed the over-dependence of developing countries to external markets, thereby hampering efforts to ramp up production of the necessary health products as well as technologies. To support the sustainability of new manufacturing initiatives, all stakeholders must come together to address the financing, coordinated technology transfer, including affirmative action, as well as market access for locally manufactured products. Africa, like the rest of the world, is experiencing both demographic and epidemiological transitions together with challenges and a lack of opportunities. Kenya says African countries must invest in a healthy workforce and specialities that address their needs. Kenyatta says no country is immune to the impact of the virus and that countries need to collaborate in fighting diseases. Going forward, we would urge Gavi, the Global Fund, Pepfar, and other major vaccine and essential medicines purchasing organizations to lead the way in prioritizing procurement of these locally manufactured health products from the countries they serve most. This year's session of the Health Assembly will focus on the theme of health for peace, peace for health. Tedros Gebriosis is the Director General of the World Health Organization who was re-elected on Tuesday for a second term. He says normalcy is being restored in many countries two years after the pandemic, which has made it possible for the 75th Assembly to be held in person. There can be no health without peace, but equally there can be no peace without health. The authors of the WHO Constitution knew this when they wrote that the health of all people is fundamental to the attainment of peace and security and is dependent on the fullest cooperation of individuals and states. In the ongoing assembly, member states have agreed to adopt a landmark decision to improve the WHO's financing model. The decision adopted in full the recommendations of a sustainable financing working group made up of the WHO member states. In one of the key recommendations in the working group's report by the Health Assembly, member states target a gradual increase in their membership dues, which represent half of the WHO's core budget. The assembly will come to a close on Saturday. Reporting for VOS Daybreak Africa, I am Moreno Jumbo in Sacramento, California. And still in Eastern Africa, in Uganda, officials said they are working to improve trade with neighboring Democratic Republic of the Congo. Officials say the trade between the two countries is expected to grow to up to $500 million. That is double the current amount making the DRC Uganda's number one export destination. 
From Kampala, Mogume Davis Rwakarenji has this story. Uganda's Minister of State for Regional Cooperation, Johnny Mulimba, says Uganda and the Democratic Republic of Congo have enjoyed warm and cordial bilateral relations in the past few years, in particular since Felix Antoine Kisakedi came in power in Kinshasa in 2019. He says the relations have also improved after DR Congo joined the regional bloc, the East African community, this year. Uganda's most formal and informal exports to DRC is focused to run over 500 million U.S. dollars with an impressive trade surplus of about 50 percent, that is 250 million U.S. dollars. Based on this statistic, DRC will be number one market for Uganda. This market potential provides a significant opportunity for investment and business. Data from the Bank of Uganda shows that there was $74.3 million worth of exports to the DRC in January, up from $29.9 million last December, representing an increase of 44%. Uganda's most formal and informal exports to DRC is focused to run over $500 million US dollars, with an impressive trade surplus of about 50%, that is $250 million US dollars. Based on this statistic, DRC will be number one market for Uganda. This market potential provides a significant opportunity for investment and business. Evelyn Anite is Uganda's state minister in charge of investment and privatization. Anite says Ugandans can trade with DRC in the form of both goods and services such as manufacturing and information and communications technology. There are very many young people who have developed very good ICT apps and they're looking for opportunities. Those who are into electricity sector, which is a service, real estate, that's a service, hotel, tourism. Currently, Uganda earns over $265 million annually from DRC by exporting cement, foods and beverages, palm oil, sugar, among others. The leaders of both countries recently launched a series of road networks connecting the countries. For VOA News, I am Mugume, Davis Rwakarinji Kampala, Uganda. You're listening to Daybreak Africa on The Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vunganyi. The world's billionaires have increased their wealth by trillions of dollars since the beginning of the coronavirus pandemic, while the poorest countries are struggling with soaring commodity prices and rising debts. These are the findings of a newly released analysis by the charity Oxfam, as Henry Ridgewell reports from London. As the global business elite gather in the Swiss mountain resort of Davos for the World Economic Forum, Oxfam says they have reason to celebrate. An analysis by the charity shows the wealth of the world's 2,668 billionaires has risen by $3.78 trillion dollars since 2020. Max Lawson is head of inequality policy at Oxfam. Firstly and primarily because of the trillions of dollars that rich countries poured into the economy in response to COVID-19. So that was the first thing and that drove up asset prices and now we're seeing this really sharp increase in addition in the fortunes of food and energy billionaires. As you see, the profits in those sectors soar because of prices rising. According to Oxfam, 573 new billionaires have been created since 2020. And the world's 10 richest men now own more wealth than the poorest 
40% of humanity, or 3.1 billion people. As the rich have got richer, the past two years have seen the poor getting poorer, with decades of progress against poverty now at risk. Again, Max Lawson. A crisis of inequality, a crisis of climate-induced hunger all over the world. And then on top of that, the food price increases and uh, the problems uh, of COVID-19. If you put that all together, you have more than a perfect storm and it's going to hurt a lot of people and it's going to kill a lot of people. The World Food Programme warns 49 million people are at immediate risk of famine in 43 countries. David Beasley is the World Food Programme's executive director. Our needs right now are extra six to eight billion dollars that we need. We are only asking for one to two days worth of their net worth increase. Is that too much to ask to stabilize the world against famine, destabilization and mass migrations? The World Food Programme says Ukraine supplies enough grain to feed 400 million people, but its ports are blockaded by Russia. Again, David Beasley. If we don't get those ports open, you could be talking about a food pricing problem over the next 10 to 12 months. But next year, this could be a food availability problem. And that is going to be hell on earth. Oxfam says governments do have the power to tackle the growing inequality. Again, Max Lawson. This is our money that's driven up the fortunes of these companies. Let's claw it back. Let's have a series of taxes, one-off solidarity taxes, windfall taxes, wealth taxes, and bring the world back to balance. Some European countries have imposed windfall taxes on energy firms. Others argue such taxes would deter investment at a critical time as Western nations try to wean themselves off Russian energy imports. Henry Ridgewell for VOA News, London. For a second year running, Meta, the company that owns Facebook, is hosting its Africa Day campaign to promote Africans who are making a global impact. Titled Made by Africa, Loved by the World, it tells the stories of eight innovators, creators and business people from the continent. And Vicky Stark reports from South Africa. The content producer for the film project, South African filmmaker Taryn Crossman, says Meta identified eight people on the continent whose stories the company wanted told for the Africa Day campaign. Crossman's company, Tia Productions, teamed up with Mashoba Media to find four fellow filmmakers in Ghana, Nigeria, Kenya and the Democratic Republic of Congo. Their job was to make two to three minute documentaries about the subjects. You know, so for example, we did um, Trevor Stearman here in South Africa. He's a visual artist. And his line, which I just loved so much, he said, Africa is no longer the ghostwriter. We're telling our own stories and owning our own narratives. That's kind of the thread amongst all these characters. They all have that in common. Nairobi-based filmmaker Joan Kabangu made a movie about Kenyan virtual reality content-producing company Black Rhino VR, which has worked with international brands. We are the pioneers of creating VR content, 360 content, augmented mixed reality kind of content in Kenya in the wider Africa and it's a company which is run by a young person and everybody who's working there is fairly young and they are really getting into how tech 
is being used to elevate the way we are creating content in 2022 going forward. Of Meta's Africa Day campaign, she says... I feel it's celebrating the good in Africa. In Ghana, Kofi Aua's movie-making has been delayed by floods in the capital, Accra, but he is determined to finish. His innovator was designer Selina Beb, whose designs can be seen on Instagram and sold online. Aua says she sells a lot to the U.S. and Britain. She's very unique. Based on the material she used and even the processes she used are kind of things that tell um, a Ghanaian or African story. For instance, um, she uses um, a certain kind of stone that you can find only in the northern part of Ghana. Awa says being part of this campaign is the chance of a lifetime. My manager called me to tell me that we've gotten a contract from Meta and I almost died, like I had a heart attack. When that call came, I felt this is the moment for me to express myself to the millions or the billions of people who are using Facebook, who are using social media. Meta will also be hosting free virtual training sessions throughout the week. These include training on monetization, cross-border business and branded content. Vicky Stark for VOA News, Cape Town, South Africa. And for our final story, the Confederation of African Football, CAF, has dismissed Zimbabwe and Kenya from their respective groups ahead of the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations qualifiers. Adegondo has more on this story from Blawayo in Zimbabwe. Africa's football governing body, the Confederation of African Football, Tuesday announced the ban in a letter to the country's football governing associations. It comes after the two countries failed to get their FIFA suspensions lifted. CAF had included them in the qualifying round, which starts in June. Now they will be considered losers for the 2023 Africa Cup of Nations competition in Ivory Coast. Zimbabwe Football Association has been embroiled in a long standoff with the Sports and Recreation Commission. The commission intervened to suspend the current executive over several allegations, including embezzlement of funds and sexual harassment. FIFA suspended Zimbabwe over the commission's actions. Traditionally, FIFA takes a dim view of what it calls political interference. Kenya was suspended after the Kenyan government disbanded the Football Kenya Federation and installed a caretaker committee. In Zimbabwe, some sports pundits tell VOA Zifa needs some sort of intervention. Veteran coach Cosmas Zulu is among those who think the CAF decision is a necessary price to pay for order to prevail in local football. Whatever is happening, whoever the Ministry of Sport, what they are doing, they want to get to put their house in order. And at the end of the day, they must be supported in terms of integrity and accountability. We need people who are accountability. As long as CRC is doing it for the better, is doing it to come up with people who will be running football, who are honest and who have got integrity. Players will not be able to play international football under the national colors for the duration of the suspension. Zulu says local football stakeholders will have to pay the price. It doesn't matter the current players, whoever it is, including me as a coach. I personally want the football stakeholders to sit down and come up with the right solution, with the right 
people will put integrity, honest accountability to themselves to run football in this country. It can take 10 years or 20 years. Beat down everybody, even in our government and the football stakeholders and come up with a solution and take it to FIFA and the ban will be lifted. Love Modube, a sports pundit, thinks the suspension presents an opportunity to rebuild local football structures this should not be a sugar coating exercise but a nationwide exercise that allows every talented kid to have equal access to opportunities in football so that when the suspension is lifted we are somewhere who are not starting from scratch men in football expected the CAF suspension, although they question why the two countries were included in the CAF qualifying round in the first place, considering the FIFA ban. Reporting from Bulawayo, Zimbabwe. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. Till next time.